Well, again, we want to welcome you to church. Again, my name's Bill. I'm the lead pastor here, if you're new with us or if you're new online. Now, um, <clears throat> 500 years ago, um, something significant happened on this very day. And this was the day that Martin Luther stood before the Diet of Worms. It actually looks like Diet of Worms, but it's pronounced Worms. Diet of Worms, Diet of Worms, and he uttered his famous words. This might be new to some of you, but he uttered the famous words, here I stand, I can do no other. You'll remember it was October 31st when Luther nailed his 95 theses to the doors at the church at Wittenberg. He took his 95 grievances, he wrote them down, 95, this is 95 problems I have with the Catholic church, and he was seeking to reform the church, not break away from it. But when the church wouldn't reform, he was forced into action. But he posted his 95 theses and not set in chain what we know as the Protestant Reformation. Well, what happened was Luther kept writing more and more works. And eventually he was called to a trial at the Diet of Worms where he was told to recant. And it was 500 years ago on this very day where he uttered those words, here I stand, I can do no other. Aren't you thankful for courageous men and women that have come before us and have laid the foundation we get to build on? Amen. Yeah. Just thank the Lord. If we could just have half of their courage, that would be incredible. Well, if you're new with us, we um, have started in a brand new sermon series called Where Do I Draw the Line? And we started this last week. And we started by asking the question, where do, we, where do we draw the line in our relationship with God? And if you missed that message, it can be really summed up here. You don't draw the lines. God does, right? God alone draws the lines. It's our job to submit to the lines that God has drawn. It's our job to fall in line with the lines that God has drawn. And last week, we specifically, specifically looked at the fact that he gets to draw the lines regarding who he is, who we are, and how to be saved. And if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to check it out online. Um, they're free there every time. So today we continue, and today we continue with one of the perhaps main questions I get from people, and I'm sure some of you get, and it's this. Where in the world do we draw the line when it comes to these people? Uh, these people that we call family. They could be a husband, a wife, a child, a sibling, in-laws, cousins, aunt, uncle, you name it. But the question, one of the pressing questions is, where do I draw the line when it comes to my family? Listen, family issues can and will arise in every family sooner or later, right? There's not a person in here that has come from a perfect family, right? And it should know, really not come as a surprise because family is family. Family is family, they are the people, for better or worse, that the good Lord has put us together with in this lifetime. It made me think of the Robin Williams, uh, it was a show that he did, a movie he produced, and he went to his kids and he goes, I got good news, and they said, are we adopted? Because that would have been better news than thinking that I'm from your loins, you know, that I come from you. But that's the family issues that exist in families. Um, we have a lot of family issues, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. As a result, family relationships can often be one of the most messy, the most confusing, the most difficult to navigate. Now, here's the deal. Family members hold a unique place in our lives. There's no doubt. But because they hold this unique place in our lives, they won't often play by the rules. You know what I'm talking about, the rules. When you go out into conventional society and you interact with people, they, there's rules to follow, right? We don't say things to strangers. We don't say things to coworkers. But when you come home, all bets are off, right? How many of you grew up with a big brother 
or a big sister. How many of you of your big brother ever got you in a headlock, started giving you a noogie, and how do you get out of a noogie? You say, uncle. And how many of you said uncle, and that didn't get you out of the noogie? That's because your brother didn't play by the rules, right? Didn't matter how much you did, he was going to let you go when he lets you go. Family doesn't play by the rules. And because family often doesn't play by the rules, they can push our buttons. They can push our buttons. How many of you have somebody in your family that pushes your buttons? And again, you may, yeah, a lot of us, probably all of us, we're just probably, some of us don't want to raise our hand for one reason or another. But here's the thing. Family members, again, will do and say things that other people simply would not do or say. As a result, family members can quickly get us asking that questions that question, where in the world do I draw the line with these people? Where do I draw the line with those that God has um, put me together with in this lifetime? Now, here's what's surprising to many people. A lot of times when we look at our family, we don't want people to know what our family life is like because we're embarrassed about it. But if you're here today and you come from an imperfect family with imperfect people, you're standing in the line of, uh, of everybody down through world history. The Bible is replete with one example after another of unhealthy, crazy family dynamics. For heaven's sakes, the very first murder in the Bible took place when one brother killed another brother. Can you think of that? Cain killed Abel, right? And it was all over jealousy issues. And there is no doubt in a room this size with this many people, I guarantee you there are jealousy issues represented in this room right now. Some of us just come from families where there are jealous people or a jealous person, and that is a big deal. And in case you don't think it's a big deal, look at how bad jealousy is. James says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Jealousy is a big deal within families. Speaking of siblings, right? Cain and Abel, there's another set of twins, another set of siblings in the book of Genesis that go by the name of Jacob and Esau. The only difference between Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau, you want to know what the only difference was? A manipulative mother. A manipulative mother. Now, in case you don't know the story, Jacob and Esau are the children of Isaac and Rebekah. And here's what you need to know. Isaac's favorite son, really, kind of, is Esau. He's the firstborn. And Rebekah's favorite child is Jacob. So we got mom and dad playing favorites, and that's going to have a bearing on things. And here's the thing that Rebecca is known for. Rebecca is kind of famous for her ability to manipulate people. So to make a long story somewhat short, Isaac's about to die. And before he dies, he says to his son Esau, who's a really good hunter, go out and hunt me some wild game and cook me a wonderful meal so that I can eat this delicious meal before I die. And that's where the story picks up. So church, it's my honor to present to us the word of God, Genesis 27 today, Beginning in verse 3. Now, Rebecca was listening. Now, I got to stop right there. How many of you had grew up with a mother that heard everything? Right? How many of you grew up with a mother that if you said something 15 blocks away, she heard it? You're not sure how, but she heard it. It's like the wind caught it. You whispered it to a friend 15 blocks away, and the wind picked it up and just took it to her, and she somehow knew it's because moms are always listening. How many of you moms in here, how many of you that are moms in here right now, you hear everything or have heard everything? What is it? Is that a gift? I don't know what it is. Moms have that gift. But anyway, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to, uh, to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I've heard your father speak to your brother Esau. 
Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. That was Isaac talking to Esau. Now, verse 8 is Rebekah talking to her son, um, Isaac, or Jacob. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Listen to me. I'm the trustworthy one in the family. I would never manipulate any situation here. Just obey my voice. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. (laughs) How many smooth men do we have in here today, huh? Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said, as most manipulators often do, let your curse be on me. I'll deal with the consequences. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. Just listen to me. This is what manipulators do. Just listen to me. I'm the one person in the family that knows the way that things should be. Just listen to my voice. And as you know, Jacob does. And the plan works. Jacob gets the blessing that should have went to his brother Esau. And if you read the rest of the chapter, Esau was ready to kill his brother as a result of it. Now, here's why that story is significant. There is no doubt in a room this size with this many people and people watching online as well that some of you are in families right now with this type of person in it. As a matter of fact, some of you are in families with world-class manipulators. People who are just good at what they do when it comes to manipulating. You know what's really interesting, by the way? Is that Jesus himself had occasions in his life where he had tension and drama with his own family. To the point where he had to draw some lines with his family. Now, Jesus always knew to draw draw the line. But if Jesus had to deal with this, it shouldn't surprise you and me that we have to deal with it. Let me give you a couple of examples from Jesus' life. The first, of course, is when he visited, the family visited Jerusalem. And they were on their way back. And Jesus wasn't to be found. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Family issues. Where there is a family, there will be issues, even when it's the son of God. The second, of course, is when Mary approaches Jesus at a wedding and says they're out of wine, right? Oh, this is Jesus' response to his mother. And he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Come on, mom. Come on, dad. You should know this about me. And then again, here's the second one in the Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also, uh, was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. 
Jesus had to draw some firm lines and to establish some boundaries and make some things known to his family. The last one is this. It wasn't between his mother or his father. It was between his brothers. You realize that Jesus had brothers, right? Mary and Joseph had other sons and daughters, uh, other sons. And some of them, for example, James was the half-brother of Jesus, the book of James. Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of Jude. But here's an account of some tension between him and his brothers. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be open to know, uh, pardon me, seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Jerusalem. Listen, in each of these three cases in Jesus's life, Jesus was dealing with family members that were either spiritually dull or spiritually dead. And it created family tension. Why is that important? Because if you're a believer in here, I bet many of you have butt up against family members that were either spiritually dull or spiritually dead, and they couldn't understand the decisions you were making. They didn't like the lines that you were drawing. They didn't like what you stand for, don't like what you stand for, and they confront you on it, and then you have to draw a line. Jesus did. All of us are going to find ourselves in families with people who are spiritually dull or spiritually dead at times, and that's when we have to write uh, draw some very clear lines. It just goes to show you, if the Son of God had to deal with it, you and I are going to have to deal with it. Now, the list of issues with that can exist within a family are extensive. So you ready? Here's just a few. We have family members who are gossips. We have family members who are lazy. We have family members that are liars, who are divisive, who are dependent, who are arrogant, who are overly aggressive, who are passive-aggressive. And one of the big ones, we have family members oftentimes that are narcissistic. And if you've ever dealt with a narcissistic person, you can know the difficulty of that. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. The list goes on and on. And by the way, there are those that we consider family that aren't necessarily blood relatives. You guys realize you, have no, you know you have more than one family. You have your blood relatives, but we're a family here, are we not? Are we not brothers and sisters in Christ? And where there is a family, there will be Issues. The answer is issues. I know many of you wanted to say Jesus in that moment, but it's where there is a family, there will be issues. If you ever go looking for the perfect church, you won't find it because every family has issues. Every family has issues. Where there is a family, there will be issues. That's why Paul, the apostle Paul, had to plead with these two to get along in the first century. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These two women were at war in the first century. Paul has to write to the church at Philippi, and he, he begs them. He says, I beg you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, help these two women agree. And by the way, even the apostle Paul wasn't immune to butting heads with people in his own family. Let me give you this example. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take, them, take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn or abandoned or basically bailed on them uh, from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. 
And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas and Paul, as brothers in the Lord, go at it. It's heated. So much so that they part ways. The earliest church split. Here it is. Where there is a family, there will be issues. So this is a far-reaching topic. I could spend months on just this one, um, where to draw the line with family members. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to highlight just one of the simplest yet most profound biblical principles with regard to this issue. If you can master this one skill, you can change any family you find yourself in. It's just that easy. It's a principle that we all know well, but we often fail to execute well. What is it? It is simply this, to restore order in any family, and it doesn't matter what family you are in, draw clear lines by practicing this right here. Tough love. Draw clear lines by practicing, and everybody say it with me, tough love. That's right. Listen to me very carefully. And this is where this, this is, I'm going to hit hard right here. So listen, there are times in which the word tough and love very much go hand in hand. And I want to say this too. There is absolutely nothing whatsoever unchristian about being somebody that practices tough love. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Sadly, we are living in a world that has hijacked the concept of love. And you want to know how I know that? Because I drive around on my bike around Tempe and I see these things on people's, in their lawns. It's a little thing you stick in and it says, love is love. Do you, anybody seen those? Yeah, they're everywhere. They're, they're showing up more and more. And I want to knock on the door of the person that has that in their front yard and go, by what authority have you defined love in this way? Please tell me. I want to know by what authority do you say this is love? Remember, one of the hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation, Luther, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was sola scriptura. The Bible is the final source of authority for us who are believers. And so it gets to define, God's word gets to define what love is and what love isn't. And because the world has hijacked the concept of love and turned it on its head, if you and I dare speak the hard, honest truth in this day and age, what are we going to be labeled? Either an aggressor, an oppressor, or an, a bigot of some kind. Do you understand that we now live in a day and age that we Christians living in America, if we speak biblical truth in love, we are an aggressor, you're an oppressor, you're a bigot. At the very minimum, you are unloving. You're a jerk. How dare you judge? How dare you do that? But folks, listen to me. We as Christians cannot let ourselves be bullied or deceived into believing this way. I think that many of you would agree with me right now. Is our country in need of some tough love? Yeah, I can feel, I can feel it, right? Our country is in need of some tough love. For heaven's sakes, the church in America is in need of some tough love. It seems that America and the church in America has literally digressed into a season of adolescence. Does it not? Where in the world are all the adults? Where are they? There's not many in Washington. There's even fewer in Hollywood. And what's really scary is there doesn't seem to be many in the church. You want to know what my definition of an adult is? Here it is. It's those who live in reality, take responsibility, and speak with authority. That's what a parent is. It's a person who lives in reality. It's the type of person that likes to take responsibility, not run from it, and they're willing to speak with authority. 
And you know what? There's no one who's living in greater reality than those of us who are Christians because we are processing everything through a biblical worldview and that is reality. We are living in a world where people are no longer living in reality. Am I, are you with me on that? We are living in a world where nobody is living in reality. There are no adults left. There are very few that are living in reality. There are very, even fewer that want to take responsibility. But here's the kicker. Where are the people that will speak with courage and speak with authority? Where are they? A parent, an adult, is one who lives in reality, takes responsibility, and speaks with authority. Where are the men and women of courage in this generation, like Martin Luther and his generation, that will say, here I stand. I can do no other. I will not back down. I will speak the truth. Even if it stings, you can call me a bigot. You can call me an aggressor and oppressor, but all I am doing is practicing biblical love. I'm speaking the truth to you. Listen, it's no good If those of us who are Christians are always looking to Washington and going, where are the people of courage there? Who's going to speak the truth there? Or we look to Hollywood and go, gosh, there's nobody in Hollywood that has the courage to speak the truth, to practice some tough love. But listen, we can look there and we can look there, but have we looked here? Is the tough love that needs to be happening within my family happening? Or do I lack the courage that I need to speak the truth in love? Now, the examples that I could give you from Scripture of those, uh, of examples of tough love are, it's mind-boggling how many examples I could give you. Just think about Jesus' own ministry. Jesus practiced tough love, did he not? By the way, do you want to know one of the reasons I don't like watching Jesus movies? And um, some of my friends here will know back there, my Bible study, you're going to know why. But the reason is, is because I don't think we're always getting a very accurate view of Jesus. Uh, They're good Good actors, like their chosen's out right now. That Jesus is kind of cool. And then there's other Jesuses. If you go back in my, you know, the further you go back, you get into some really weird Jesuses that made it onto the big screen. But one of the reasons that I have a problem with the Jesuses that I see in the movies is that he lacked an edge. He lacks an edge. It's lovey-dovey Jesus that is often portrayed. And yet the Jesus I see on almost every other page of scripture is a Jesus that is cutting He is speaking the truth, right? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's the Jesus that I miss seeing on the silver screen, a Jesus that cuts with his words because he's not afraid to speak the truth. He's not afraid to practice tough love. Amen? That's the Jesus I want to see. Jesus called one of his closest disciples, Satan, and told him to get behind me. That's tough love. You want to know what tough love is? Is when Jesus said to Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Get behind me, Satan. That's tough love. Jesus admonished his disciples again and again for their lack of faith. He confronted the Pharisees and their religious hypocrisy. He even fashioned a whip and drove out the money changers. He called sin, sin, and told people to repent of it. He did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. And when he confronted somebody in sin, like the woman caught in adultery, it was grace. But that grace was coupled together with some tough love. Because how did he finish that conversation? Go and sin no more. And I don't think it was just like, go go and sin no more. I think it was, listen, this is it. Go and sin no more. Where are those who judge you? They're not around. Then I don't judge you. But go and sin no more. 
Listen, folks, a love that is never tough is a love that will do great harm. Do you understand that? There are so many families that are out of control simply for, for the one fact that nobody has the courage to practice tough love within that family. A love that is never tough is a love that does great harm. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother, to his father, to his family. It does great harm. A love that is never tough is a love that does great harm. Even more than that, a love that is never tough is given by somebody who doesn't truly care. Who, um, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I mean, the whole point of the book of Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, the whole point of that passage is that God practices tough love with those who are his children, right? Anybody that's, in a Christian, that's a Christian in here right now has been to the woodshed, right? When God takes us to the woodshed and he disciplines us, that's our heavenly father practicing tough love with us. And we love him for it, don't we? At the time, it's hard, but we love him for it. Just one excerpt from Hebrews. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Now, let me just stop for a second. We respected them. When you practice tough love with those in your family, they may hate you in the moment, but they will respect you in the long run. When you practice tough love with those in your life that need it and have the courage to speak the truth, they will hate you in that moment, but they will respect you long term. They might respect you short term. The reason that we often fail to practice tough love with the people that we need to is because we want them to like us. Listen, you don't want to be liked by those that need t- tough love. You want to be respected by them. And you, they will be respected that if you, because you will probably be the only person in their life that has the courage to say what needs to be said in that moment. There is a famine for courageous people in the world today. People that will tell the truth and speak the truth, practice tough love in this generation, say what needs to be said no matter the cost to them. Where are the men and women of courage? Where are the adults? Those who live in reality, take responsibility and speak with authority. Where are they? And by the way, it's no good just to be two of the three. You might be somebody who lives in reality and takes responsibility, but if you don't have the courage to speak the truth, you're missing one vital part of being the adult in any room that you are in. And you understand that every room that you walk in, you're probably, as a Christian, you're going to be the adult there because we, have lived, we are living in a world that has lost its collective mind. Gender is a wash in confusion. Race is a wash in confusion. There's, you know what the Bible says? It says, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. We can, we can take that even further. A fool lives his life like there is no God. A fool says there's a God, but doesn't base his life on that God. But the point is, is those that either deny God's existence or don't live according to how God, they're going to be, they're foolish. The Bible describes them as fools. Let me ask you a question. Do you see foolishness happening in the world today? Do you see foolishness in our culture today? You can account for why they're fools. Because they have denied, once you take God out of the equation, you're going to end up in utter absurdity. You are. If you keep pushing the envelope, denying God exists, you're going to end up living in utter, utter absurdity. And that's exactly where we're headed. That is why we're having boys go to girls' bathrooms and vice versa. We're telling our children this is okay. 
Folks, that's absurd. And I can account for that absurdity, and so can you. Somebody needs to be the adult in the room. Somebody needs to be the one living in reality that says there's two genders, sorry. Do you understand that? Do you want to know what reality looks like? It's the person that says there's two genders and only two genders, just as God created them male and female. That's what I'm saying. That's living in reality. An adult lives in reality, takes responsibility, and speaks with authority. But it's no good to have one just or two of those things and missing the third. By the way, and I'm going to just one last quick thing here. Even um, the church is commanded to practice tough love. Let me give you an example. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought not you rather mourn? And so when, when there's sin and disobedience, what do children do? They giggle and they laugh. That's exactly what these guys were doing. They were acting like children. And Paul comes along and says, adults mourn when things aren't right. And then listen to this. Let him who has done this be removed from you. So let me ask you a question. Is is there ever a time in your family where, where practicing tough love might mean kicking somebody out? You bet. And there's nothing unchristian about it. There's nothing unchristian about it. You're going to be accused in that moment of being unloving, being judgmental, being a bigot, being an aggressor, an oppressor, you name it. But there comes a time in which a family member, if unwilling to repent and do what is right, needs to be told, get out. If we practice it in the local church, surely it's fine to practice in the local family. But will we have the courage to do these sorts of things? Now listen, we as Christians are sneaky people. Can I prove it to you? We're sneaky. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're getting insider information on just how sneaky Christians can be. And here's what we Christians do. In order to avoid practicing tough love, we pretend to be acting Christ-like. Why is this person causing so much disorder in the family? Why isn't somebody confronting them? Why isn't somebody drawing some lines? Well, I'm just being like Jesus. I'm loving and patient. Right? Listen, all we're doing in that moment is pretending to be pious in order to avoid being courageous. That's all we're doing. There's nothing pious about that sort of behavior. When somebody needs to be confronted, where are the men and women of courage? Where are the adults in the room who live in reality, take responsibility and speak and have the courage to speak with authority? Where in the world are they? Do not hide behind pious behavior to avoid being courageous. I told you there is a dearth, a famine for courageous people in this generation that are going to be willing to speak the truth. Will you be one of them? That's called tough love. Our country needs it more than ever. If you're going to look to Washington and Hollywood for the adults, don't. They're not there. Where they should be is in the church. But unfortunately, There is a lack of courageous men and women even within the churches. Why are so many churches going woke and going liberal and going doing what they're doing? It's because there's no one who's in those churches that's living in reality will take responsibility and say, no, we're not going down that road. It's unbiblical. We're not buying into that philosophy or this teaching. The Bible is our authority. We're going to be the adults In this culture, folks, if ever there were a time for Christians to shine, it is now. You're going to be accused of the one who's not living in reality. Do not believe it. 
whether it comes to the issue of gender, race, immigration, whatever, you can go on and on and on. You are going to be told if you hold biblical worldviews that you are the one not living in reality. It is not true. You are the one that's living in reality. You are the type of people that don't run from responsibility. You take it. But taking responsibility means being willing to speak the truth. You're living in reality. Take responsibility and speak with authority. This is why God has set your feet on this planet for such a time as this. Do you want to know why you're in the family you are? God has put you there for a reason. To be salt and light. To minister to your family and care for your family. But there are times, folks, in which the word tough and love go hand in hand. And if somebody, if you and I aren't willing to be those people that speak tough love, who is? Who? I finished with this thought, and this is an important one. When it comes to tough love, you guys, this is the key. Tough love measures actions, not words. Okay. As God's children, that's what he expects of us, right? I mean, look at this verse. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. God is looking for people that walk the talk. And when it comes to those in our family that are out of control, we should expect no less. Being a wise person means being a discerning person, and a discerning person measures actions and not words. Why? Why do I say that? Here's why. Your family members, and many of you know this, your family members will say almost anything if it means not having to face the consequences for their actions. Your family members will promise you the world. I'll change. I promise you. This is, I'm done. I'm going to change. They will promise you the world if it means getting you to back down from drawing hard and fast lines in your family. Now, I'm not suggesting that if a family member who promises to change needs to fulfill it perfectly, we're not looking for the perfection of a promise, but the direction of a promise. Is the person who made the promise to change their ways when you confronted them headed in the right direction? Are they making progress? Is their growth happening? Or is, it a, or is it just a bunch of the same old, same old? And listen to me very carefully, guys. If your family life is out of control because there's somebody in your family who's given you a bunch of the same old, same old, and you're letting, letting them get away with it, there's no one to blame but yourself. If that person isn't going to be the adult in the room, if you're not willing to be the adult in the room, whatever you do, don't complain. You've got nothing to complain about. You're a child. You're acting like one, and you should be treated like one, right? Jesus told us to love in the most radical of ways. Let me give you an example. He told us to love our enemies. He told us to love our enemies. And if you ask the average person, what is the, one of the hardest things that Jesus says to do in the scriptures? It would be love your enemies. Is there any form of love that is harder than that? Maybe not. But maybe there is. I think a very strong case could be made today, and here it is, the toughest love to give is the tough love we need to give to those we love. There are times that I would rather serve my enemy than confront someone in my family, because that's how hard it is, right? There's nothing easy about being someone who practices tough love. You will be hated in the moment, but as Hebrew says, they will respect you in time. I think the toughest love to give is the tough love we need to give to those we love at times. I would rather serve my enemy more often than not than confront somebody with tough love. That's how hard it is. And by the way, I want to say one thing. Many of you are in here and you feel alone. 
What does Ecclesiastes say? Two are better than one. Where one falls down, the other can help him up. Where one is cold, the other one can make him warm. The point is this. If you're in a family and you need to practice some tough love, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. I bet you there are others in your family that are feeling the same way that will rally to your side so that you can draw the lines you need to draw in your family to bring order back. Listen, folks, I finished with this. Family can be the hardest of all groups in which to know where to draw the line, but also being bold enough to do it and to follow through. Don't ever feel guilty, you guys. Don't ever feel unloving. It's not unchristian. No matter what the world calls you, You speak the truth in love. You be bold. You be a prophet to this generation. You be courageous in your families. You be courageous at your places of work. Because if you're not the adult in the room, who is going to be? So I finish with this simple question. Is there someone in your family? I can even get rid of that. Is there someone in your life with whom you need to practice some tough love? Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you this day. And God, we live in a, in a day and age where love has been stripped of everything. And now love is just means unconditional acceptance of anyone, anywhere, anytime. But God, that is not the biblical definition of love. Love sometimes needs to be tough. It needs to say hard things. And sometimes love, need, love needs to be courageous, even when we're unliked as a result of it. And so God, we all come before you this day and we pray that you'd shower us with wisdom so that we might... God, draw the hard lines and the tough lines that we need to draw with our family at times. And so, Father, give us wisdom as we move forward. Help us to be courageous and help us to practice that love that is tough at times. And we love you and we thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said with me, amen. Now, listen real quick. By request of a small group in this church, I had a small group call me this week and they said, Bill, would you, we, we've been debating to no end where to draw the line when it comes to turning the other cheek. So we're going to address that next week. And here's why that's important. Some of you are in situations where you're turning the other cheek and you shouldn't be. So don't miss next week. Okay. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Be safe.